In your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 7. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, 1 through 7. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. A dream comes when there are many cares and many words mark the speech of a fool. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin. And do not protest to the temple messengers, my vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the works of your hands? Much dreaming, many words are meaningless. Therefore, fear God. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, as we come to your text, Lord, help us see how we should be when it comes to worshiping you. Father, I pray that we apply your word to our lives. Pray that you search our hearts, search our minds, and help us live according to your word. You are an awesome God. Help us see your glory this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. There's a hymn that I think helps us set the tone that this passage carries. You've heard it. It's Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. The lyrics go, Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full into His wonderful face, and the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, and then the things of this world will grow strangely dim. Our problem is our eyes are on the things of this world, and God has grown strangely dim in many of our hearts. The battle is for your heart. And what you deem as awesome is what your heart and life will go after. We don't have an awe problem. We just define the wrong things as being awesome. Let me give you a couple of examples. A new car is awesome. A new job is awesome. Winning a game is awesome. Ecclesiastes shows us that when we deem something as awesome, and it's not, it leads to meaninglessness. So just in the book of Ecclesiastes, pursuing your life, life being pursued, as if money is the only thing that matters, is a waste. Why do you pursue money over God? Because you deem that money is more awesome than God. It captures your heart. You're in awe of what money can do for your life over and above God. Or, we also see promotion, advancement. When position is more awesome than God, you're going to live life for a job. 
We've also seen pleasure. When pleasure is more awesome than God, you're going to seek pleasure over God. That's why people have issues with drugs, and people have issues with pornography, people have issues with sex, people have issues with hobbies consuming their life. As we go after those things, because they capture our heart. So in your own life, right now, what has your heart? What do you deem as awesome? Another example, and, and listen, I'm as excited as anybody for today. The Bengals start their season. And there's not too many seasons in the past where the Bengals are Super Bowl contenders. If you remember the 1990s, when I grew up loving the Bengals, <laughs> you knew to do, not too many wins were coming your way. But now, they have a chance. Do you think, do you think that stadium will be full today? I do. Just hear me out. You have grown men wearing $120 jerseys of other grown men because they think they're awesome. You have people paying hundreds of dollars for seats and snacks and parking to watch a football game because they think their team is awesome. Fans will have their emotions go up and down based on a score because they deem it as worth it. Listen to the roar of the crowd after a big catch, a tackle, or a touchdown. Our hearts long for something that is awesome. Joe Burrow gets $275 million because ownership thinks he is awesome. Kroger is willing to put his face on billboards even in Indianapolis, because they think he is awesome. Our hearts and our lives are drawn to what we declare is awesome. What or who have you declared is awesome? That's what your heart and life will go after. Back in the day, I was serving at a church. We did a, a staff dinner um, every month to catch up with each of the different ministry teams. And uh, there was a, a dear lady, uh, treated me like a grandson, pretty close. And we picked a, a restaurant to go after. It wasn't anything super special. It was a Logan's or a, a Longhorn, something around that line. And uh, this was just after uh, VBS where uh, you're sacrificing. You're there uh, all day getting ready for all night and trying to manage kids. You guys know how VBS is. And so uh, the pastor decided, hey, we're going to treat you. Don't be afraid to order a steak. So I ordered my favorite steak, eight-ounce renegade sirloin. And I would tell anybody that would listen, that's the best steak on the planet. And so you get it, and now listen, there's nothing special about this steak uh, other than you could eat it, and you got to chew it up a little bit. It's a little bit rough. But, man, it was my favorite. That's as far as I'd go down the list of steak. This dear old lady just leans over. She goes, honey. That's not a steak. She, uh, she informed me. She goes, listen, your next anniversary or some special event, take your wife to such and such and get a filet mignon. I said, oh, okay, okay, I get it, whatever, whatever. Well, years have passed. I had the opportunity to go to this steakhouse and order a filet mignon. I couldn't even spell it. 
I looked at the menu, and I didn't even know what to look for. I'm like, what's a big knot? Figure that out. Got the steak, and I went to cut it with a knife. You don't need a knife. You can cut this thing with a fork. And juices are just flowing out, and I go to bite that. And I remember back to that conversation I had, and I go, man, I had no idea what I was talking about when it comes to steak. Now, making a mistake on steak is one thing. But making a mistake on what is awesome with your life is an eternal thing. There's so many things the world is saying is so awesome for you to pursue after. God is awesome. He is in heaven, and we are on earth. And as we draw near to worship, we need to be in awe of him. How much did you think about God walking in today? Life's busy. If you have kids, you're trying to get them dressed, get them ready. Hopefully they have clothes that match. Right? And then if you're older, just getting out of bed is a win. You get here. You're hoping it's not too cool in the sanctuary and not too hot in the hallway. Isn't it funny how so many things grasp for our attention? And yet God tells us how to approach him. Be in awe of God. And so in this passage, there's four commands, four tasks as we approach God. If we are going to be in awe of God as you draw near to worship Him, this is how you do it. Number one, guard your steps. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 1, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. Listen to God. Listen to His Word. Hear from Him. We are desperate to hear from God. And we have made worship so many different things. <clears throat> many places. And listen, I'm not against good music. I'm not against lights. I'm not against AC. I'm a little bit against fog machines and smoke machines. But there's a lot of places out there that do a lot of things to create a pretty cool environment. And we say, that's awesome worship because of how it makes us feel. Worship is not about how you feel. Worship is about the God you worship. As you draw near, be careful. Guard your steps. And listen. Guard your steps and listen. And, and then you see that fools offer unacceptable sacrifices to God, and you're thinking, what in the world are you talking about? Well, during this time, the people would bring sacrifices to God as an act of worship. We bring tithes and offerings to God. It's called the first fruits. What God has given us, we're giving back to God. And what would happen is people would bring in sacrifices, but they wouldn't give their best. They'd bring an animal that's blind or lame or sick. It's going to die anyway, so I'll just give it to God. And God's saying, that's not acceptable worship. That's not acceptable worship. I will not accept that. Fools offer unacceptable sacrifices to God, thinking they'll earn God's favor. Fools offer what is worthless to an infinitely valuable God. Don't give God the table scraps of your life. Give Him your life. He's worth it. Be in awe of Him. 
fools view their sin as little and God's holiness as small and their sacrifices as sufficient. I'm doing enough. I'm okay. That shows that your views are out of line with what God has revealed. And in this world, it's pretty noisy. There's a lot of things that would say they're glorious. Trying to get your attention. Trying to get your heart. I don't know if any of you guys have these, but they have now noise-canceling headphones. Jaden, are those no noise-canceling? Hey, hold those up just real quick. Hold those up, seriously. Now listen, those aren't noise-canceling, but they'll do a pretty good, pretty good trick right there, right? And so I've got, I've got a pair, and listen, we have six people in our house, and I get in trouble for this, but I'll, I'll put those on, and I'm listening to something, and I look up, and Julianne's having a conversation with me, but I can't hear I have these noise-canceling headphones on. We desperately need those in our lives. You need noise-canceling headphones so you can focus and listen to the Word of God. Do you have any quiet spaces in your life where you can get away and be quiet and hear from God? You know, worship here primarily is about hearing from God. That's why we go through books of the Bible. That's why we're looking at Ecclesiastes 5, 1 through 7. We don't do, uh, here's seven thoughts from a pastor. We don't do seven great ideas for leadership. We say, hey, this is the word of God because we are desperate for the word of God. And so as we draw near to worship, we need to guard our steps. How do you guard your steps? Well, you're slow to speak and quick to listen. Psalm 50, 9 through 12 says this, I have no need of a bull from your stall or goats from your pens, for every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the insects of the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. We don't have anything to offer God. God doesn't have a need for anything we have to offer. And yet he invites us to enjoy his presence. What an awesome, awesome God. Matthew 4, 4, Jesus answered, while being tempted, he said, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Are you dependent on the word of God? Do you watch your steps, guard your steps, and listen? This passage reminds me growing up, cut grass with dad, and this was before we, we made it big time, before we had the big mowers, the zero turn mowers. We had a tractor and a push mower. And you can guess it was just me and dad, you can guess who got the push mower. My job was to take the push mower out of the back of the truck, put it down, make sure it has gas, cut the grass, pick the mower up, put it back in the truck. He got the tractor. And he would remind me all the time, hey, after cutting the grass, be careful, that muffler is hot. I got it, Dad. I understand. I've done this hundreds of times, Dad. I know what you're talking about. I've got it. I've got it. I've got it. So now I just tell him, Dad, you don't have to remind me every time I get this. Okay, okay, okay. Well, sure enough, we finished mowing this place, and I go to pick it up. And I'm just moving. I'm in a hurry. I don't have time to do things correctly, or at least I thought. I bend down, and as I bend down, I get too close to that muffler. And my hand, back of the hand, hits that muffler, 
and you can hear a sizzle. Think bacon. And I think to myself, that is hot. <laughs> and then I thought to myself, you know, Dad didn't tell me it was hot today. I moved that hand off, and I looked down, and I thought, oh, this is bad. This is bad. It's already starting to swell up. I can see. I look around, make sure he's not around, pick the mower up, put it back in there. Well, of course, we get in the truck, go on to the next place, and he sees my hand. He's like, what happened to your hand? Ugh, Dad, I hit the muffler. He's like, I told you it was hot. Right? This is a warning to all of us. Guard your steps as you draw near to worship God. He is an awesome God. And we don't approach Him lightly. Be very careful as you approach God. There is no one like Him. And this is just a, a gentle reminder from Solomon to people, be in awe of God as you come into His presence to worship. So not only do we guard our steps, but we also have to be slow to speak. Verses 2 and 3. Number 1, reflect on your words. Think about what you're saying. Think about what you're saying. Ecclesiastes 5, first part of verse 2. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. Now, listen, as a, a student pastor, and I was the king at talking trash to students. And man, I paid for it. I've learned a few lessons along the way. We were going to, uh, it was a student life trip to Cedarville, and, and this eighth grade girl was talking trash about how many times she had won swim meets. And I said, listen, I was a barracuda back in the day. Fifth grade, taking swim lessons. I'm pretty sure I'd whoop you at a swim, at a race. And she said, well, does this place have a pool? And that's when I realized I might be in trouble. Sure enough, it had a pool, and it wasn't one of those small hotel pools. It was a full-size pool. And we get in here, and we start, everybody's watching. And at any time, I could have just said, you know what, I was just kidding. I was just kidding. But, man, I'd spoken the words, and now I'm going to try to back it up. And I've shared this before. There was a, a rope, you know, with the, the little blue and white things to, to mark off the deep end. We had to swim under that and swim back. On the way down, I was able to keep up with her. And then she did the kick flip, and I knew I was in trouble. And I had to pick up the pace. Well, I got caught in that rope. So I got off of that. And then I started, I just started panicking. I started breathing in the water and blowing out air. And I thought for a second, not only am I going to lose, I'm going to drown in this pool. Man, foot in mouth. You would think you'd learn your lesson. Well, my middle brother was dating a girl, and she was running track. And I've never been fast, so I don't know why I said it, but I said, I probably could beat you at a 40-yard dash. Or at mom and dad's, we'd go out in the front yard, and of course, Andrew's egging it on. You know what, Ben? I think you could beat her. I think you could beat her. And so we start, and I knew I was in trouble when I cheated the start. Ready, set, I go. She waits till go. I'm five yards in front of her. She closes the distance and just laughs as she passes me. I'm like, this is awful. Of course, brothers, mom, dad, laughing. Foot in mouth. Well, with the football team, we're lifting weights, and there's what I used to be able to do, and then there's what I can do now. And somewhere along the line, I've forgot the difference. And I told so-and-so, I could lift that. 
And I go to the bench and I lift it off and it hits my chest and I realize I can't lift that. And I'm not positive the guy spotting me can lift what I can't lift. So I almost die on the bench press. Foot in mouth. And so I've learned along the years it's easy to say stuff but there could be some devastating consequences. And when we come into the presence of God we must be slow to speak. And I love the, the reason he gives. Second part of verse 2. God is in heaven, and you are on earth, so let your words be few. Remember the greatness of God. Remember how awesome he is. That helps me keep quiet and listen. John Bloom uh, wrote an article entitled, Listen More and Speak Less. He goes, our God is a speaking God. The Bible tells us that the universe was created by the word of God. That's Hebrews 11.3. And he holds it together by the word of his power. That's Hebrews 1, verse 3. That means the galaxies exist because God has spoken. The sun rises and sets because God has spoken. The moon and the stars shine because God has spoken. One could say God speaks a lot. And with that in mind, have you ever noticed how small the Bible is? 66 books, 750,000 words, and most English translations. I, I don't know about yours, but most Bibles are less than 2,000 pa uh, pages. The one I have is just a little over 1,000, 1,077. In it, the Word of God. Everything sufficient for life, of how I'm supposed to live my life, of what I'm supposed to know about God, contained in these pages. What an awesome opportunity to listen to God. William Shakespeare has written more words, 960,000 words. So if you're a poetry fan, he's written more words than we have in the Bible. Harry Potter series. There are more words in that series than we have in the Bible. 750,000 words on which our life is dependent. We can know God, be saved, glorify Him because He has spoken. The average person speaks about 7,000 words a day. Some of you are above average and some of you are below average. I'm not going to tell who's who. 7,000 words a day. Do you know how long it would take us to read 7,000 words on average? 23 minutes. Less than a half hour. How, how about this? What an awesome goal would it be to say, I'm going to hear more words from God than I'm going to speak to everybody else every day of my life. What if you committed to 30 minutes a day finding a quiet space where you can listen to the word of God? you would be taking in more words from God than speaking to other people. David offers us a good prayer in Psalm 141, verse 3. Speaking to God, he says, Set a guard over my mouth, Lord, and keep watch over the door of my lips. This is something for a senior in high school, for my daughter, for my two middle school girls, and for myself. What, what an awesome prayer to pray. Set a guard over my mouth. Guard the words coming from my lips. If you're in a profession that speaks a lot, if you're a teacher, you better be praying this. If you're texting a lot, you might want to be praying this. 
If you communicate with others, this is something for us to pray. And so, hey, take notes. Psalm 141, verse 3. Set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. So we've got two things. If we're going to be in awe of God and when we come to worship, we're going to guard our steps and we're going to be quiet. Be quick to listen. Number three, be quick to keep your vows. Now, I thought this was interesting. And he goes, if you're going to do it, fulfill it. If you, if you make a promise, keep it. Ecclesiastes 5.4 says, make a vow to God. Do not delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. Well, that's pretty simple. And then, verse 5 gives more clarity. It is better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. Malachi 1.14 talks about what was happening in this day and time. It said, Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. And what would happen is people would come in and say, Hey, I'll give you this. I'm going to sacrifice this to God, to the temple. And then they'd go and do something different, something cheaper, something of less or no valuable, or they wouldn't keep their vow at all. So, uh, I didn't mean it. I was just kidding. And that is not how you approach God. And when you hear in Malachi, it says, For I'm a great king. You don't take a bad gift to a great king. Grandpa served uh, in the Korean conflict, in the Korean War. Uh, Gene Wagner was his name. And, and it was interesting. You, you know, you go through, like, make a vow, make a vow. You don't hear about this too often. So he was serving in Korea, and he was a chaplain. He was in the Jeep, and he bends down, notices his boot is untied. He bends down to, to tie it, and as he's tying it, he hears a... And a bullet goes through his windshield where he was sitting, right over top of him. And he gets back up and he thought to himself, he goes, God, if you get me out of this place, I will serve you the rest of my life. And you know, looking back, he's kept his promise. He's fulfilling his vow. He came back, and he was a pastor of a small church and then transitioned to Stithen Baptist Church in Radcliffe by Fort Knox, served there for 35 years. And then he retires, but he didn't retire. He was interim at this church and then this church and then this church. And now he's not able to drive around, but he's still preaching at Magnolia Springs. He preached this past Sunday, and I think he's up again in two more weeks. Uh, it's, it's an amazing thing. He made a promise, though, and he kept it. Now, I don't know about you and the vows that you have made, but I've made some promises to God. And the funny part, Grandpa was involved in that one, too. We were at Florence Baptist Church. Uh, Julianne walks down the aisle, and my brothers are behind me. She gets up here, and Grandpa reminds you, know, when you're getting married, uh, it's in the presence of witness and before God. And you're saying, until death do you part. And that's a vow. You're, I made it to Julianne, and I made it before God. And by God's grace, I'm going to keep that vow till the day that I die and till the day that she dies. And then, if you remember a few weeks ago, 
we were late to the party. Dia, I think, was two at the time, but we brought her out, and we do baby dedications. And we made a promise to each other, if you remember. Julianne and I promised that we're going to raise Dia as best we can in the love and admonition of the Lord, to glorify Him. And then you guys committed that you're going to pray and encourage us and encourage her to do the same. That's a vow. That's a promise. We've got to keep it. And maybe you made a vow. You, you turned from sin. You put your faith in Christ to walk with him. Are you keeping your vow? Are you keeping your promise? And the writer, Solomon, says if you make a vow, keep it. And if you can't keep it, don't make it. That's an awesome God. And when you remember God is in heaven and we are not, you're not going to make promises you can't keep. And then next, so not only <clears throat> do you guard your steps, and be slow to speak and quick to keep your promises, you've got to guard your words. Verses 6 and 7 says, verse 6a, do not let your mouth lead you into sin. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin. Proverbs 10.19 says, When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Does your voice always have to be heard? Are you the loudest at the table? Quick to listen, slow to speak. So not only don't let your mouth lead you into sin, but don't argue with those who encourage you to keep the word. Ecclesiastes 5, 6, middle of that verse, it says, Do not protest the temple messenger, saying, My vow is a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? God doesn't take lightly the words we utter before him. When we're singing songs, we're saying something. Who's the audience? It's not each other. You might get distracted by somebody singing. But we're not the audience. God is. And what we say matters. So how do you do this? How do you guard your words and not get mad when someone says, hey, you're not keeping your promises? Well, you do it, verse 7, fear God. It says, much dreaming and many words are meaningless. A dream never accomplished anything. And many words doesn't earn you favor with God. So how do we approach God? Therefore, fear God. Proverbs 1, verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs 9, 10, Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Do we understand what fear means there? It doesn't mean scared to death. It means a reverence and awe of who God is and what He has done. We sung it this morning. The second song, talking about how Jesus laid aside his glory to come and die on a cross. We stand in awe of the love of God. That's what it means to fear the Lord. And here's the, here is the whole crux of Ecclesiastes 5, 1-7. through 7. When we stand in awe of God, we're going to guard our steps in worship. When we stand in awe of God, we're going to be quick to listen. We're desperate for a word from God. That's exactly what we need. We don't live on bread alone. We live on every word from the mouth of God. 
When we stand in awe of God, we will be quick to keep our promises that we have made. When we stand in awe of God, we will not let words accumulate on our tongues. Be in awe of God as we draw near to worship Him. And, and you see this again and again and again in the Bible. You see this with Moses. There's a burning bush. God's presence is there. And he says, hey, watch out. For the ground you're standing on is holy ground. Moses takes his sandals off. And he's consumed by the glory of God. And then later on we see in Exodus 33, Moses goes to the the temple of meeting, the tent of meeting. And as he goes, the people stand at their tents and they're scared and they worship. They're nervous and they worship because God's presence shows up. And then in Exodus 34, Moses comes back down with the Ten Commandments, and the people are scared of him because his face is glowing, reflecting the glory that belongs to God. How do you think their worship was? Do you think they stood in awe of God? I do. Then you have Job. And, And Job, if you read the book, man, what a tough life. And the Bible says that this man's blameless. He was living a good life. And then some bad things happened, and he started to ask some questions. And then God shows up. And God, for two chapters, says, hey, Job, stand up. I'm going to ask you some questions, and I need some answers. And he says, where were you when I laid the foundations? Where were you when this, this, and this happened? And then I love Job's response. He said, Job, answer, Lord, I am unworthy. How can I repay, reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. And then for two more chapters, God says, no, 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 no. I still have some more questions for you. And then we get to the conclusion. Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me. You said, listen now, and I will speak. I will question you. And you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job's done speaking because he sees the glory of God. And he never got an answer for why all the bad things are happening. We did, but he didn't. But he's not asking any more questions. Why? Because he's in awe of God. What about Isaiah? Isaiah serving God, and then his glory shows up, and he hits the ground, saying, Woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people with unclean lips, beholding the glory of God. But this is not just an Old Testament. Peter, James, and John hanging out with Jesus. He's transfigured. They see his glory, and they hit the ground. They've been walking with Jesus for years. They hit the ground because of the glory of God. We see a huge problem in 2 Corinthians. And this is the problem that you will deal with. This is the problem that I deal with. 2 Corinthians verse 4 says, The God of this age, means Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. They can't see the glory that belongs to Christ. 
And so they'll deem something else glorious. That's what the world does. Hey, care more about everything but God. That's what the world's clamoring for. And people can't see the glory that belongs to Jesus. They're blinded. But in verse 6, we read this. For God said, let light shine out of darkness, made His light shine in our hearts to give us the light of knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. If you behold Jesus as glorious, God has opened up your heart and you have seen His glory. That's what God does. If you see the cross and what Jesus did on the cross, laying His life down so that you may have life, we don't have offer sacrifices anymore because Jesus offered a sacrifice. He laid his life down so you and I can enjoy the presence of God for all eternity. If that doesn't fill your heart with awe, you are blind to the glory that belongs to God. And you'll fill it with whatever the world has to offer you. And you'll never be satisfied. Be in awe of God when you come into the house of God to worship. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. You are an awesome God. Father, I pray that you move in a mighty way. Father, I pray that you show people your glory. Lord, we live in a city where so many other things have captured the hearts of the people. Father, we have people in the room right now with hearts going after so many different things. Help us be still and hear from you. Father, I pray that your spirit moves in a mighty way. Pray that you open up hearts to see your glory in the face of Christ. Father, I pray that as we draw near to worship you, our hearts are filled with awe. Because you are an awesome God. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.